a great reminder this morning. God has never failed us yet. And in this season, in this time, it is that promise we hold on to as we worship today. And I thank you so much for joining us here online. We're so grateful you're here today as we continue to discover foundations for our life. I'm Pastor Bo, I'm the Associate Pastor. Welcome to Calvary. And this morning, we're going to talk about foundations. And here in this season, foundations for life have become so important. As we talked about last week, these reflections, these two messages come out of some of my own reflections during this season. And Proverbs chapter 3 has been a real source of joy, hope for me. And in this, we've learned a lot about foundations. And last week, we talked about trust in the Lord and how trusting in God is so important for our lives. The reflection of the day from this next part of the passage really comes out of seeing the economy of the world in this time. And I don't know about you, but as I've watched both the stock market, I've heard from our leaders about the economy, and then personally, I saw friends, family members, maybe some of you even in the church, struggle with either changes to your jobs, your incomes, or perhaps you lost it altogether. And as I reflected on that and kind of struggled with the Lord on what was going on, and even in my own family, my own life, wondered what would become of our jobs or incomes, the Lord brought a great reminder, and he showed me that we as people are so fickle, and we trust in our incomes, our jobs, our livelihoods as our foundations. And unfortunately, like we talked about last week, if we trust in these things as our foundation, they're faulty. There's a lot of cracks in that foundation. And as I was processing through this, I was walking through Proverbs chapter 3 in my daily Bible readings. And in that, God brought a great reminder. So today, we're going to read Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 13 together. And let's see what the Lord has to say about foundations for our life. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gains understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. And those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and direction. And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. You see, Solomon writes this proverb, and in this, he gives us a command, a story about wisdom. And how wisdom, the pursuit of wisdom, is a foundation that we can have for our life. You see, our life lesson today... Our foundation for today is that ultimately as people, we should invest in wisdom that comes from the Lord. 
That's a foundation worthy of our pursuit. And Solomon writes it in this way and compares it to wealth because he knows that the wisdom of God is so much more valuable than anything else we pursue. There truly are lessons that money can't buy. And that's what we're going to talk about today is, is what does wisdom look like? And why is it more valuable? And how ultimately it's a great foundation because it's things, wisdom is a thing that no amount of money in this world can buy. Let's pray together and let's ask God to be with us as we study his word today. God, thank you so much for this chance to study your word together. God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts right now, open them up. In the midst of what we're walking through in our own lives as a country, would you open up our hearts to hear from you today? Because that is truly what matters. And I pray today that as we walk through this, God, you would shore up the right foundations in our life. So Jesus, we ask you for this and we praise you for being able to gather today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a great reminder this morning from Proverbs chapter 3 about wisdom. This beatitude shows us that wisdom is worth investing in. And I, I thought about investing because as it talks about jewels and silver and gold, I, I realized that really it's things of value at that period of time that Solomon is writing that, hey, if you want to invest in the right things, invest in the wisdom of God. But as people, he knew and God knows that our hearts constantly seek to invest in the wrong places. Not only is it a foundation for our life, we're just naturally predisposed to invest our time, our energy, our money in things that we think provide us a whole lot better of life. And so what do we do as people? Well, we invest in jobs, careers. We spend the majority of our working then waking hours working and pursuing incomes and trying to build up stuff on this earth properties and possessions we invest in our homes and all our hobbies activities we spend our lives investing in these types of things futures securities stock markets 401ks whatever you want to think about we spend our energy and our focus trying to build up stuff in this earth things that we think provide so much a greater path but what happens when moments like this hit in our society. When the coronavirus first came in the scene, you see very quickly, whether it be your job, your investments, maybe for some of you it looks a different in a different way, you begin to see that these things we invest and we focus our lives on, they fade so quickly. Possessions rust and rot. Man, your job can be gone tomorrow. Your investments, the stock market can kill it off in one fell swoop. And if you're not careful, it causes a sort of crisis when you enter that moment. A moment where you realize that you had built your security up on a false foundation. Solomon reminds us today, and God tells us, invest in the wisdom that comes from the Lord. Invest in it with all your heart. And so let me just tell you why. Let's start out with what are the things that money can't buy? Why would we invest in wisdom? What are the promises in this passage? There's a lot of promises from God that if we invest in wisdom, this is why you would do so. The first thing we see is this in verse 16. Long life is in her hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. 
Long life and honor are a promise from God that if you invest in wisdom, you're going to see your life extended and great honor bestowed upon you. Now, this is really hard, but we talked about some of the long life stuff last week in our trust series. Long life is constantly promised for people that follow God. The difference this week is that when it comes to wisdom, the reason Solomon and God promise long life for us when we walk in wisdom is because when you walk in wisdom, there's a different sense. Last week we talked about how if you follow God's commands, right, if you do what God says, he's going to lead you toward the right path. Well, wisdom, what wisdom does is that you apply God's commands in your life, and as you do that, as you apply God's commands with great wisdom, you're going to choose to do things that will extend your life. It doesn't promise that we're free from hardship. It doesn't promise that we will have no pain in this world. And it doesn't promise that our lives won't end prematurely through some way. But it does promise that you will choose to spend your life in ways that does not lead prematurely to your time here on earth. That God's purposes and plans will be fulfilled for you. Because ultimately, you're walking out in wisdom. But we talked about that some last week. The main thing I want you to see in this promise is the honor section. And honor is a little different than when we talked about favor last week. You see, honor has all to do with social status. And we love, whether you admit it or not, you pursue your life in a way to be perceived as someone of better social status. Uh, for those of you who are gaining some age, maybe you don't want to be seen as an immature person in this world. Or maybe you don't want to come off as someone who doesn't have resource or money to provide for yourself. You don't want to hand out. And therefore, you spend your life trying to make sure that no one ever thinks that of you. That pursuit is not the honor that God intends for our life. Instead, God's honor does not matter about your incomes, about how much you have in this world. It doesn't matter whether you need help or you don't. What matters is, are you walking through your life and everything that you've been handed with wisdom? Asking God to show you the right way to walk through your life. The good thing about this concept of honor is there's no comparison games with God. God doesn't ask you to be like X, Y, or Z. You know how that is. You're driving down the road and you see this family or that family. You're at the birthday party and you hear about your neighbors, jobs, or careers. And all of a sudden, there's something within us as people that we want to be like that other person. We want to be like someone else. With God's honor, the comparison game is dropped. Because all that matters before God is that you walk with wisdom that comes from him. That as you look to the decisions of your life, you do what God tells you to do. You listen to him and apply it in such great ways. And listen, sometimes God will ask you to do something that is completely against the grain, that goes against the norm, that may not let you achieve higher social status here on this earth. But there's great honor that God bestows upon people who seek his way, his wisdom. Honor, let me just tell you, it's worth pursuing. Because as social status rises and falls, depending on what you say, how you act, if you keep your job, if your income stays steady, those things fade so quickly. But the honor God bestows can never be taken away from you. It is something that lasts your entire lifetime. God shows us that life, true life, is about the quality, not about the quantity. 
God shows us that life is about the quality of what we do, not about the quantity. God wants your life to be full of choices that prolong your life and prepare you for the one to come. And in the one to come, the only thing that matters is the honor that God bestows on us as his children. And so there's good news for us today. If we pursue God's wisdom, we can see long life and great honor from that. But not only does it promise uh, long life and honor, the passage also in verse 17 promises pleasantness and peace. It says in there, her ways, talking about wisdom of God, are ways of pleasantness. And all her paths are peace. You know, around Christmas time and New Year's, typically we hear the phrase, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. I don't know a single person in this world that does not want their life to be pleasant and to have peace. But as we see time and time again, and today is no different, peace on this earth is very hard to come by. There are tons of things that the evil one has thrown up in this world to disrupt our peace. And yes, I know you're thinking about a national level, whether it be the virus or the unrest, injustice in this world, or perhaps maybe we need to turn our attention to our homes. And peace in our home is sometimes hard to come by. But we all desire peace. So how do we get there? Well, we have to pursue living our lives the way God has asked us to live and allowing the wisdom of God to affect everything we do. Because if we step out of God's way, there is no peace. But in God's way, as we walk this life with great wisdom, the Bible promises peace, pleasantness, that your home, your life will be filled with peace. Now, that promise is hard because, as I said, sometimes as Christians, we don't encounter peace. Maybe today you're living in a home that's very disruptive. Or maybe you've got extended family that cause a lot of disruption in your life. Maybe your neighborhood, your local community. Or maybe you just see the unrest from all the social media, all the things going on in the world. And therefore, peace in your life is hard to come by. How does God promise us when we're following him that we will experience peace? When so many times it's hard to experience that. Well, here's the best analogy I can give you. I think about peace when it comes from God, and I think about a hurricane. And I know it's not great to bring up a hurricane here in New Orleans. We, we're praying, right? The season's here against all hurricanes, right? But I think about a hurricane because in the hurricane, a great storm, there's always that eye. And you know, if you're found in the middle of the eye, There's great peace there. Now, to get to the eye, you've been through devastation. And on the backside of the eye, there's more devastation. But if you get caught in the middle of the eye, there's great peace. When I think about the peace that God offers, it's this internal peace that is like being in the eye of a hurricane. And all around you, the world swirls. Maybe in your life today, privately, personally, the world is swirling. You see a lack of peace and you don't know how you'll ever get there. When you allow the wisdom of God to be in your life and you process your life through the wisdom of God, God promises that although there's chaos all swirling around you, in your personal, private, internal life, he promises there can be peace. 
It goes against the grain of any of our thinking because it's so abnormal. But God promises that even though the world is swirling, there can be peace in your life. And I hope today that encourages you because it encourages me. And when I wrote this back when this whole season started, it allowed me to center myself in peace. Even though I didn't know what tomorrow will hold, and we still don't, even though I see and you see all the unrest, even though things personally and privately will hit you every single day, you can walk through those storms with peace, with great peace that comes from God. Peace and pleasantness have nothing to do with external pressures and everything to do with an internal presence. Peace and pleasantness for your life have nothing to do with the external pressures around you and have everything to do with God's internal presence in your life. Pursue God's internal presence through wisdom and experience his pleasantness and peace. Next, we don't just see peace. We see in verse 19 and 20, power and presence. It says in that passage that the Lord established the earth through wisdom. It talks about the creation story. His knowledge broke open the deep. And as I read this and I reflected upon it, I reflected on the power of God. Jeremiah 10, 12 also writes this. It says, it is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. God in his great power created something from nothing by wisdom, by his wisdom. And the one thing that mankind has not been able to do, we're very creative, by the way. God gave us the ability to create all these wonderful things. But he's never, as I've seen it, ever given mankind the ability to create something from nothing. The wisdom of God is so powerful that it brought forth creation from nothing. And what we see is that when we look to the wisdom of God, that power is extended in our life, and God's presence is made known. The reason this works is because I believe as we walk by God's wisdom, we walk in the way God created the world to be. That's why there's power in his wisdom. He gave the world a set of rules, and yes, it's broken. It doesn't always follow by his rules, but God established this world to exist by his wisdom. And here is the trick. As a Christian, if you walk with God's wisdom, you have the rules to the game. So imagine for me, you went to go play cards with your friends one night, and you're the only person at the table that knows the rules to the game. Guess what happens? Much chaos, first and foremost. Your family members and friends are all disruptive. They don't know what they're doing. But here's what happens. Ultimately, you win the game. Because you're the only one at the table that knows how to win the game. That's a weird analogy, kind of silly, but it's how a Christian walks this world. If you walk by God's wisdom, you have been given the rules of the game, the keys to how to live this life. And yes, it's disruptive around us. People don't know how to walk by God's ways. But if you walk in wisdom, there's great power for your life in that. Because ultimately, you can win the game the right way, the way God intended because you're following his ways. You see, wisdom for our lives, especially God's way, is so important because it allows us to know how he founded this earth to be. There's great power in that. There's also the presence of God when you walk in his wisdom because you see God in creation 
established the world to walk among us. We see in the Genesis account of creation that God walked among Adam and Eve. And until this world was broken by sin, he existed among them. Could you imagine today if you got to sit this morning, not with the screen in front of your eyes, not with your family or friends, but you got to sit with God, talk with him, converse as you would another person in your life? Can you imagine that type of presence for your life? It's hard to imagine, but that's what Genesis tells us about creation. And what I believe to be true about wisdom is that if we walk with God's wisdom, we experience the presence of God in a great way because we get closer to how he intended this world to be. We experience greatly the presence of God. The best illustration or analogy I've thought about is how, as a kid growing up, you always hear your parents give you rules and ways for life. And sometimes you react against negatively, or sometimes maybe your parents gave you rules that didn't make sense, right? And you walk according to those rules while you're a young person, or maybe you rebel against it. But then as you're an adult, what happens? You may start to see, at least in a few, it depends on your parenting, right? But at least in a few parts of your life, you'll begin to see the reasons why your parents did X, Y, or Z. And as I've experienced that as an adult, what it's made me realize, it's made me appreciate more some of the decisions that I rebelled against in the past. And it's made me even feel closer to my parents because I realized that their ways, the things they taught me, may have been for my good, may have been to help me. And now as I raise my own daughter, I realize, man, it's not easy. I am so flawed. But as I give Shiloh rules... What happens is hopefully she'll see one day that it's because of my presence there with her, trying to show her the right ways for her life that ultimately will lead her on a great path for her future. Good parents in this world try to act that way, and guess what? We're broken. God is a perfect father, and he has given you his instruction to walk with you. Not to point down on some, we get this idea, I think, that God's up there and he's pointing down saying, do this, do that, you must do this, you must do that. God is a good father. He's not just pointing out what we should do. He's coming alongside us with his presence and showing us this is why you should do this because this will help your life. And as we walk in wisdom, as we learn how to do that, we experience more of God's power and his presence for our life. But then lastly, we see in verses 22 through 24, security and confidence. It talks about two things. It talks about how we walk and how we sleep. First of all, it talks about sure-footedness. It talks about how you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. I don't know about you, but I like to be sure-footed. I've been hiking a few times where the trail has gotten muddy. Maybe you can, you've been there before, right? And you've been maybe in not the right gear, and all of a sudden the trail gets slippery. And in those moments, there's not much confidence in which way to go or what you're doing. I wrote down that when you walk life without wisdom, it's like trying to walk a muddy trail in flip-flops. It just doesn't work. Without God's wisdom for your life, you're just slipping down the slope without the right gear. And I want to, and I pray you would want to, walk this life with sure-footedness. And that looks like the right gear. Yes, the trail's still bumpy. It's still pretty muddy. But you've got the right shoes. You've got the GPS. You know the direction. And you are able to walk without your foot slipping because God has given you everything you need 
to walk this life. He's not promising a straight path, a smooth path. He's promising that your foot will be sure in this passage, that you will walk and your foot will not stumble. We all stumble in this life, especially when we don't walk God's way. We stumble. And the only hope for us not to stumble is by choosing wisdom from God, choosing to invest in his wisdom. But it doesn't only promise that. The other promise, which I think is really, really good, and maybe as you get older, you, you realize this, a good night's sleep is very important for your life. You know, I didn't appreciate this when I was in my 20s. I'll be real honest with you. I was the night owl with little sleep, three or four hours, and I would go. And I didn't realize the important because I had all the energy to operate by. But the older we get, the more we realize that a good night's sleep is very important for our day-to-day life. And not only a good night's sleep, but in this passage, there's a reference to peace. To be able to sleep soundly because you know that there's someone out there that's got you, that's taking care of you. That when you lay your pillow on your bed at night, when you lay your head on your pillow at night, God is watching over you. That you don't have to take it with you to bed. You don't have to worry about what's tomorrow. God, in his peace, his way, will allow you to sleep securely. A good night's sleep is very important. And in God, we're allowed to sleep securely. His way, his wisdom is worth investing in because in that, there's great security and there's great confidence. So I don't know about you, but I know this. I want these things. These things that were just promised, they're parts of my life that I value desperately. So to get there, We've got to stop looking in all these other places, and we've got to start looking to invest in the wisdom of God. Well, how do we do that? Well, just like the passage talks about a pathway to walk, I thought about a pathway, a pathway to wisdom. How does this passage help us get to wisdom? It talks a lot about wisdom. It gives us promises for wisdom. But a lot of times the how-tos are really hard to come by, right? Like, it's not always so black and white when it comes to wisdom. We have to make decisions in real time. We have to live in this world, and wisdom at times is hard to come by. Here's a few principles, a pathway, I believe, that gets us to wisdom. The first is this. I believe in order to get to wisdom, to invest in wisdom, we must embrace the struggles of life with the Lord's help. We must embrace all the struggles of life with the Lord's help. You see, the reason we have to embrace the struggle is because this passage as a whole is writing about the struggle. Solomon knew that whoever he's writing to at the time had struggles. They didn't naturally go toward wisdom, and because of that, man, their lives were pretty messed up. And so in this, what, they, what the writer knows, what Solomon knows is that we will have struggles, but we have a choice to make. We can choose to do what we naturally do, which is with struggle— We use our own strength to kind of socially distance ourselves from struggle, right? We spend our lives trying to insulate our lives from the struggles of this world. Or we can choose to live in this world, embrace the struggle, and ultimately learn the lessons that God has for us in the struggle. You see, wisdom does not come when life is good. I'll be real honest with you. A very few times in my life has wisdom in my life came when life's really good. In fact, when life's good, a lot of times I make my worst decisions, But when life is tough, we start to really process and look to what the Lord is saying, and in there, there's great wisdom. And so there's kind of two places we see that in struggle. The first is through God's discipline for our lives. 
And, and stay with me. I'm not saying that coronavirus is God's discipline. I want to make sure that's clear. But there are points in our lives, and we don't talk about this enough in the church at times, where we make the wrong decisions. We go against God. And guess what? There's consequence for that. God has discipline for us. And maybe it's active disobedience, and that's what God's discipline. Or maybe it's passivity. Maybe it's us just choosing to live life in our own strength. And therefore, God brings about a consequence, some type of struggle before us because we've chosen to live our life and our faith life on autopilot. The first part that we didn't read of this proverb in verse 11 says, Don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father delights in his son. We must not avoid the discipline of the Lord. Talking about it, looking to it, and seeing that when things hit us in life that we do, yes, there's discipline in that, and that's okay. We're all broken. We all struggle. And as Christians, none of us is above the discipline of the Lord. We don't need to avoid it. Because here's what happens. I want to read this from Revelation chapter 17. It's about a church that had become very apathetic to their faith. It actually is talking to a church that's on autopilot in their faith. And I really want to speak to those of you. I know some of you may be in this room, may go, yeah, I actively disobey God. But for a lot of you, your faith is on autopilot. Maybe you've chosen this season where you've been away from your church to think your faith is on vacation. Guess what? I want to remind you of the warning from Revelation when our faith goes on vacation. It says this about the church. For you say, the church, Laodicea says this, I am rich, I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy gold from me refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. What God is saying to the church of Laodicea is that you may be rich here on earth, but you have forgotten that in order to receive the richness of heaven, you must take the gold refined by fire, the gold that comes from discipline, the gold that I give to the people that I love when I reprove you. Discipline is not something that we should rail against. The discipline of God is something we should embrace. And we should seek it and look for it and ask God, God, please discipline me. Please refine me so that I may have riches that are not of this earth but are stored up in heaven. And you will cover me with your white garments. You see, it shows us that a loving father will discipline his children. So let me just say this. If you don't see the discipline of God in your life, are you his child? Are you living as his child? Are you embracing your heritage as his children, because in that heritage, there's great reward, but it doesn't come without the refiner's fire, without your creator saying, you are not done yet. None of you are done yet, and I still have some work to do on you. Your faith is not on vacation. Even though we're not gathered here in this room today, your faith is alive, it's active, and God has called us to be his people, his missionaries, to ultimately bring his love, his justice, and his hope in this world, your faith never goes on vacation. Receive his discipline. 
But then also the struggle of this world is the natural part of this world, the broken part of this world. What we're walking through in a lot of ways is a result of natural. This virus is a natural thing that comes throughout hurricanes, weather. We have a lot of broken things in this world that are just a result of natural broken consequence. But here's the deal. Even when something hits your life that you didn't ask for, nor did you deserve or do, maybe it was not brought on by your behavior. Guess what? Even in those moments, if you want the wisdom of God, you must receive the lessons that God might teach, even if you did nothing to deserve it. Even if you find yourself today in a situation where you go, I have done everything, God, you have asked me to do, and yet my life is still X, Y, or Z. Guess what? God still has lessons that money cannot buy to teach you. And that's the gold you get by walking through struggle even when you don't deserve it, even when it's not a discipline from God because you've been disobedient or you need to learn something, even if it's just something natural, guess what? Here's the good news. God always turns that and uses that to bring great gold, great value in our life. He will bring redemption from whatever your story of struggle is. So if you find your life is not looking the way you want it and you've done everything to pursue God, guess what? He is still going to use it to refine you and to make it a part of your story for good. So don't fret. Don't be discouraged. Hope in God. And in those lessons, man, we learn a whole lot. In the moments of struggle, it's where we learn the most. So don't avoid it. Don't, and I'm not saying social distance to get you away from social distancing. I'm saying don't social distance from struggle. Allow struggle to be a part of your life. Don't write it off and allow that. And I believe if we do that, first and foremost, you'll begin to learn lessons that money cannot buy. But then we ultimately have to learn and listen to those lessons. And we have to do that before we speak or we act. You see, a great principle for wisdom is to learn to listen, to learn and listen way before we decide to speak and act. And I'll be real honest with you, in this season of our lives, social media allows us to speak a lot sooner than we think or we reason. Sometimes in our own lives, I'll be real honest, it's one of my natural tendencies, it's just to speak rather than holding back and really learning and thinking through and listening to what's going on. True people of God's wisdom learn to listen. First and foremost, you listen to God. We just talked about that with the lessons of struggle. But you also listen to people around you. You listen to people you don't agree with or you disagree with. You listen and learn. We have a saying around here at Calvary. It says that you're a lifelong learner. And what that means is that we've never arrived That no matter how educated you are today watching, guess what? You've not learned all there is to learn. And you must commit your life to constantly bringing in knowledge to your life. This passage talks a lot about knowledge. It comes up a bunch. Knowledge is a part of wisdom. We're not in wisdom forsaking all knowledge. In fact, you must have knowledge. You must learn to begin to start to be wise. So don't stop learning. And learning comes When you choose to close and you begin to listen and you try to hear and you try to discern and you may talk and ask questions of people around you 
either colleagues in confidence or maybe people that you don't agree with, and you ask questions for the sake of learning. And then you take that knowledge and you apply it to what you know God says, to his word. You look to what God says. You learn the lessons of struggle. And then the way you develop wisdom is by acting based on all that. You see, this word wisdom in the Hebrew, it talks about, it's really an ability. An ability to understand and to apply it to your living life. To take all that knowledge, all that we just talked about, and the ability to apply it. Well, guess what with abilities? What you have to do is this. In order to gain an ability in this world, you must practice and train and work at it. You're not going to be there. Some of you may more be naturally inclined toward wisdom in this world than others, just like as some of you may be more musically inclined than others. But at the end of the day, whether you're inclined or not, we must all choose to work on being wise. And the way that looks is that you take in knowledge, you listen, you learn, you look to God's word, and then you have to act. You have to do something with it. You're not some ivory tower learned person. You choose to take it to the streets and actually enact it. To go back to a previous analogy, you know the rules of the game, and then you start playing by the game. And by the way, at the same time, you're showing others how to play by the game. Apply your knowledge. James 1, 19 through 20, commands us this as Christians. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man. We know Jesus, right? He had some anger toward the temple, things like that. But the anger of mankind does not produce the righteousness of God. We must be people that acts out in wisdom. Taking what we know, looking to God's word, and ultimately making a decision to act. So here today, understand that if you want to be wise, you must apply what you know and continue to learn and apply what you know and continue to learn and apply what you know until your life is over, until God calls you home. And as you do that, all those promises from before are part of your life. Not only do you learn from struggle, not only do you apply what you've learned, but lastly, you must invest time in the lessons of God. You must invest time in it. To be able to train in ability, you must invest time. You must choose to work on it. And I'll be real honest with you, the way I pragmatically do this for my life is when God teaches me lessons, when he gives me things to learn, I must write them down. I must choose to record what God is saying for me. It may not work for you, but part of my timeliness is in this season, there's a journal, and man, I look back, this lesson is prepared from the lessons God taught me months ago in my journal. Writing down what God says is very important. Spending time listening to God and writing it down and choosing how it plays out is so important. And then ultimately, God doesn't give us things to keep them to ourselves. We must share it. It's like I just talked about with the analogy of the card game. You must tell others about the rules of life. Your wisdom God gives you is to be shared. Now, it's not some kind of preachy, I'm going around to all my family and friends, you must do this or that. But it's like a loving father 
And as you see someone struggle, come alongside them. Help them see that God's way could be the better way. As a Christian, show them, if they are a Christian, to jump into God's word and look to God's way. If they're not a Christian, man, there's a lot of good, common good that comes from doing things God's way. And ultimately, as we do this, we lastly let them accept the word of God. The word of God. There's a little taste of Jesus in this proverb. It talks in the middle about God using wisdom to found this world. And as I read that, I was reminded of John 1. And as John 1, it reminds us of this, that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him not one thing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. This is a great reminder for today. The light shines in the midst of darkness, and the darkness has not and will not overcome it. You see, as it talks about creation in Proverbs chapter 3, we're reminded in John 1 that at creation, Jesus was there. The Word of God dwelt in heaven as a part of creation. And the good news of creation is, yes, God created the world, and yes, the world turned into sin, and what we know today, brokenness and pain and all the things we run into— But God had a plan. From creation, he would send the word and make the word flesh, Jesus Christ. And so if we want to learn the wisdom of God, we must accept God's word, Jesus Christ, the word made flesh into our lives. We must allow Jesus to come into our hearts, to follow him with everything we have. And that's the true key to wisdom, is that as we give our lives over to him, and we spend our lives following him, God gives us long life and honor, peace and pleasantness, security and confidence, and ultimately he gives us power and presence, his presence made known for our lives. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe for some of you, you tuned in this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I would like to encourage you today, stop what you're doing and pray with me and ask Jesus to come into your life. Let's pray together. And if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd like to give you a moment to pause what you're doing and ask him into your life for the first time today. It really is the first step to wisdom. It's not magical, there's no formula, but the way we do this is by praying to God and asking him to save us. We tell him that we understand that we're broken and messed up and we need him and we give our lives to follow him. So I'm going to pray and you can either repeat this after me or pray in your heart. But let's ask God, if you want to follow Jesus for the first time today, pray this with me. God, I know today that I'm broken. I know I've messed up. And God, I know today that I need something greater for my life. So I ask you today, would you come into my life? Jesus, would you save me? And I commit my life today to follow you, Jesus, with everything I have, with all of my life. I accept your act of grace through your death and resurrection. And so I ask you today, in my heart, God, would you seal me and save me 
by your power and your grace. And if you prayed that prayer,